I've often thought about what it is about singing about God. What, it is, what is it about? And Martin Luther, I think, was the first one to realize there was a connection to the heart with the words that we sing. And then when we sing about the Lord, when we sing about God, when we sing about Jesus, it connects with our heart, and it makes everything we do more genuine, more sincere, more loving, and more pure. There is just something about it. This morning, uh, I'm going to attempt a sermon on the path to holiness, and the two topics I'm going to be preaching on are um, prayer and fasting. Interesting in that uh, each one of these topics could take a whole series, let alone 50-50 on a Sunday morning, so I'm going to talk to Dave about that. You and I are going to have a little bit of um, I want to talk about holiness, the path to holiness, because that's exactly what these two things are. Prayer and fasting are a path, essential path, to holiness. Now, holiness is not much of a factor. It isn't considered much in today's Christian church. It isn't even mentioned. Many of us don't understand much about it. And what we do know seems so impossibly far beyond our reach that a lot of people virtually ignore the whole thing. And that's too bad, because holiness is the foundational element of the Christian life. It is the foremost aspect of God's character. Angels repeat it three times, because it's essential. It's vital. It's overwhelming. When the Bible repeats itself, it means something. When Jesus says, verily, verily, truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, he really means it. This is the only time. In the Bible, that something is repeated three times, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, how in the world can we try to imitate God and disregard holiness? The holiness that most of us never even think about. His most important attribute. So first, I want to explain what so many of us ignore. The holiness that most of us desperately need and should seek with every fiber of our being. Trust me, the definition I'm going to give you, and for that matter, this entire sermon really is cliff notes, mentions. You're really going to want to mention, you're really going to want to read the whole book to get the full story. Accurate picture, because the word holy means sacred, set apart from the profane, set apart for the genuine, total devotion to God. The primary uh, word in the Old Testament for holiness means to cut, to separate, to literally cut yourself off, to separate onto something else. So holiness is cutting off or separation from anything unclean, anything profane, anything unholy, and a complete dedication to everything that's pure. In the New Testament, the word is the same root word for saint. The same root word for sanctify. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need to be called. That's what we should strive to be and to do. God is holy. His holiness is the reason why sin cannot exist in his presence. That's why God must be obeyed. 
The Israelites were set apart for God. Therefore, they were to be holy. Because they were to be holy, they should obey God completely, willingly, totally, generally, genuinely. And personal holiness was never just something for the scribes and the priests. It was for everybody. Everybody in the entire nation was called to be holy. Holiness was to be demonstrated. Holiness was to be understood. Holiness was to be lived out. It's when you're ready to hear God's voice and follow it, no matter what anybody says or does. Set apart, pure, completely devoted to God, forsaking sin of every kind. Earlier this week, someone was called home who exemplified this. The Reverend Billy Graham was completely devoted to God, completely and I was very, very interested. <clears throat> I listened to some radio stations, and all they talked about was his ministry, his strength, his power, his outreach. And I listened to other stations. You know what they said? Wow, isn't it amazing there was never any scandal? That he never had any love child, never had any private affair, never had anything untoward. And I, I thought to myself, those two things are the perfect definition of holy. Completely devoted to God. Completely cut off from the sins of this world. We treasure his memory. Just a show of hands. How many actually heard him in person? Raise your hand. Amen. I guarantee you, you'll never forget it. It was almost like there was no one else in the stadium. Just you and Billy Graham. A holy morning. A holy man. Now, Morning, I want to review two of the most important elements, the most important ways to get to holiness. And the first one's prayer. And I want you to turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to read a passage from it. It's what the Lord has to say. Starting with verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for when they, they love to pray, standing up in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Isn't that? Think about that. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive, now that's the prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. You see the, comp you see the connection between prayer and fasting? But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others you're fasting. But only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's talk about prayer. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say if you pray? He said when you pray. 
By the way, he says the same thing about fasting. When, not if. Now, I have studied prayer all my Christian life. I've created and given many seminars and presentations on prayer. I've been at this for quite a while, and I'm still learning. I feel like Moses, who was on Mount Pisgah, and he said, Lord, you've begun to show me what you can do. Please let me go to the promised land. God said, no. You've begun to show me. Well, what had he begun to show Moses? Well, all the plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, every conceivable kind of miracle you could possibly hand, fire coming down from heaven. And you've begun to show me what you can do. Wow. Okay. I'd love to sit up and tell you I have every answer about prayer. I don't. And I know I don't. I just want you to know that I know that I don't. But Jesus does say, what's the right way to pray? The first thing he says was keep your prayers secret. That's interesting. Because the Bible has many exceptions to this rule. Personal and communal prayer, corporate Private and public prayer, congregational prayer, national days of prayer, regular and occasional prayer, silent prayer, verbal prayer. Why would Jesus ever say, where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where I'm with them, if you're supposed to keep your prayer secret? Hey, I'd like, like to get together with you two guys and pray about something. You can guess. You can guess. God will probably guess, but I'll know. Okay. Come on, what what are we talking about here? But when it comes to prayer, just you and just God, keep it between you and God. That's what Jesus is saying. He promises you'll be rewarded. Promises. Secretly, just like you prayed. Second, keep it genuine. Forget all the high-sounding theological terms and everything else. Prayer is just talking to God. You talk, he listens. He talks, you listen. And talk like you talk to everybody else. You're having a conversation with him. You don't need special flowery prayers. I had an unfortunate soul I knew in New Hampshire, former missionary, been in Japan. And when you listen to him, it was like listening to the King James Version of today's newspaper. Uh, oh, thy Lord, and thou this, and thine that, and helpeth us to understand the blah, 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 blah. I, I started out admiring him, and I ended up wondering if I should feel sorry for him. And worse, I saw other people following his example, so I would encourage people to pray, talk. You're talking to God, that's what it is. I mean, sure, remember who you're talking to, but talk. You don't go to somebody and say, I have longed for the presence of your company. And in my heart, I have sought your fellowship. Mightn't we now gather together, you and I alone, so that we might have communion and perhaps break bread? And you would throw me out of your house. What's wrong with talking to God? So one time I had a real good brainstorm. And in front of the, in front of the room, I put a chair, left it empty. And I said, everybody talk as though Jesus were sitting in a chair, talk to him. And we had some beautiful prayers, really wonderful prayers, really, of just people talking to Jesus and everything. And then my friend got up. Oh, Lord, we worship thy presence. And I'm 
Whoa. Um, I mean, it almost sounded like he worshiped King James instead of King Jesus. I, I said, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't confront him then or at any time I didn't. But same King James wording, stilted 16th century words. Um, no one said anything. I'm glad. I never actually confronted him then or at any time, but I did feel sorry for him. He had what I would call a wonderful personal relationship with Jesus, one that was extremely formal, artificial, and distant. Don't be like that. Be genuine. Have guts enough to talk to your Savior. And then while after he gives us that advice, Jesus gives us a wonderful example, which ends up as the Lord's Prayer. First, our Father. Can you imagine how that stunned the apostles? They all believed he was the Son of God. They all thought he was greater than them, bigger than them, more wonderful than them, and they were right. And he prays, our Father. We're all in this together. Not my Father. Our Father. You know what they thought once they got over the shock? Wow. We're all in this together. We're, the, we're siblings of the Son of God. You know what that means? We've been adopted. We're all in this. Our Father. What I always say to myself is don't pray a prayer that someone else in the congregation might not pray. Number one, hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed means holy. And the phrase means that whenever the name of God is mentioned, everyone's first thought should be, his holiness. God is completely separate. So should we. God is pure, completely so. So should we be totally pure, as close as we can get in this life. Certainly committed <coughs> to spiritual purity. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what repentance is. If you haven't been pure, admit it. That's repentance. You know what a, another good definition of repentance is? To agree with God's perspective on your sin. You don't admit what you did. You admit it from the perspective of God and what he wants you to do. Hallowed be your name. Everyone's first thought should be of God's holiness, not your righteousness, God's holiness. And then your kingdom come. There is a kingdom. On earth and in heaven. We think of God's heavenly realm. True. The kingdom is here. Now. Right here in West Dallas. If we look for it. Seek it. And seek citizenship in it. And there is a king. The one who gave us this prayer. God has a kingdom in this world. And we should dwell within its spiritual borders. Now this is a little too much for you. little theology that's kind of deep? Are you confused this morning? Are you maybe a little depressed this morning? Is this something that you can't possibly do? Listen to me. Write this down if you want to. Lift up your head. You are a child of the king. You can do it. God never requires us to do anything that he doesn't enable us 
to do. If you genuinely seek holiness, God will make the path straight and smooth for you to achieve it. Lift up your head. You're a child of the king. Your will be done. A little vague about God's will, how to know it. How can you pray for it if you don't know it? Well, here's a nice, easy, simple way to approach it. God's will is the finest thing that could possibly happen. The best possible outcome. The best answer to any question. The finest solution to any problem. The best thing. So if you're a little confused as to how to pray for God's will, imagine what would be the best thing that could possibly happen. Pray for that. I guarantee you, you may not be correct, but you will be a lot closer to God's will than you would otherwise be. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this was specifically about food, but because you, you know what? Everybody in Jesus' day spent all day trying to put enough food on the table for that night. Everybody. Food was everything to everybody. And that was just about their only concern. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to keep us alive through the night? Now, so thanks to Pick and Save and Piggly Wiggly and whatever, um, we got enough to eat. Hey, look at me. <laughs> we got enough to eat. But what I think we should emphasize from this particular statement is every day, give us what we need every day. Believe like that. Pray like that. Live like that. Why would you ever be greedy with what you have, knowing for a fact that tomorrow God is going to give you everything you need? Not everything you want. Everything you need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Don't be confused about this, and for sure, don't be afraid. Your salvation is total and complete. You are one with Christ forever. This command was given for an Old Testament requirement. Because with the New Testament, this isn't a law. This is a promise. Forgive us our sins just like we forgive others. It's a promise. We are to forgive others their sins. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not just the sins that people sin against you personally. God says we are to forgive everybody for their sins. And out of love, we forgive them. Just like out of love, we have been forgiven. Because of that, we'll be completely forgiven. Do not carry along your grudges when you come to the Lord in prayer. Help us avoid temptation. God never tempts us. He tests us, but only Satan tempts us. The secret here is to not to pray if you know that something might hinder you, especially not forgiving someone else. And then I want to talk about um, temptation just for a little bit. Because I want you to win the small battles and avoid the big wars. All temptation starts small. That's the time to defeat it. If you don't, it'll grow and the next temptation will be better. Now let's just suppose I'm walking along, minding my own business, just uh, all by myself, alone, separate, probably reciting a couple of Bible verses. And Kate Upton or somebody beautiful jumps out 
and says, oh, Pastor John, I've had an eye on you for a long time. Let's go upstairs. <clears throat> Whoa, and I'm suddenly overcome by emotion, and this flood of passion comes over me, and I run upstairs with Kate Upton. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Now, let's suppose, noodling on a computer, and I come across some stuff. It's all over the computer. Instead of clicking it off, I watch it. Then maybe I buy a magazine I shouldn't buy. I read a book I shouldn't read. Then I start telling jokes and laughing at jokes that I shouldn't worry about. Then I start looking at women in a completely different way. Then I find myself walking down the wrong street that I should walk down. And you know what? I could end up in a dark room doing something awful with a woman I don't even know. And do you understand what a process that was? Do you understand that Everything would have been avoided if I had just not clicked on that computer. Temptation is gradual. Temptation is a process. And we pray, lead us not into temptation. And then, it, then there's something really interesting about deliver us from evil. Some temptations are going to be awfully hard for you to resist. Financial temptations, social temptations could be even any kind of religious temptation. It could be political temptation. You name it. And if we can't afford it, we're to pray for deliverance. This morning in Sunday school class, I was talking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Don't be discouraged. God is able, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a path to escape so that you are able to bear it. And that is Cliff Notes on Prayer. Okay, cliff notes on fasting. Dave, we got to talk about this. <laughs> and I had a two-hour sermon before. Okay, um, now as with prayer, there's a right way to do fasting. The typical form of fasting is private and personal, purposeful, but there are all, just like prayer, there's all kinds of fasts in the Bible. Personal fast, communal fast, private, public fast, congregational fast, national fast, regular fast, occasional fast. Absolute and partial fast, all kinds. But just like with prayer, God says, when you fast, not if, when you fast. So chances are you are among the massive majority of Christians who rarely, if ever, fast. And it's not because haven't read our Bibles or sat under good preaching or heard about the power of fasting, or even if we don't generally want to do it. We just never put down the fork. <laughs> Sorry. That's ah, true. All right. We live in a society where food is everywhere, and I mean it. We can eat whenever we want to. We can eat even when we don't want to. And uh, we eat, share a meal with somebody. We, we want to build and grow a relationship, which is fine. And it's a, it's a wonderful expression of love to share a meal with somebody, hospitality, uh, or just as a distraction or a comfort. I mean, half the chocolate in the world is for comfort, not appetite. It's for comfort. Um, then we have our own cravings, our own rumbly and our tumbly, keeps us from the discomfort of fasting. I've noticed this all my life. Try fasting. You won't believe how many food commercials are on television. <clears throat> fasting is voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift from God for a spiritual purpose. Do you realize how countercultural this is? 
Do you realize how outside of our culture this can be? I, I compare it, I, and I, I don't mean to cast aspersions on anybody or anything, but I would compare it to never having sex outside of marriage. Great rule. Society and culture tell us just the opposite. But if you follow that rule, no sex outside of marriage, you will never, ever regret it. You will never, ever regret fasting either. Still, pretty much a lost start. When we fast, it won't be because we listen to society. It will be because we have open Bibles that we read. We fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. We don't have it all, have to have it all here and now because we will have it all there and then in the coming age. We fast for what we can see and from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen that the greatness and the glory of God is so much more satisfying. We fast for the world. It stretches our spiritual eyes so that we can actually see beyond the pain and the trouble that are around us. We fast and pray to, to win the, the battle, the battle against the evil and the weakness inside of us. We show our discontent with our own sinful nature and our longing for more of Christ. But again, fasting is for this world only. When Jesus returns, fasting is done. Fasting is a temporary measure to enrich our joy in this world. Because when Jesus comes, he isn't going to call a fast. He's going to throw a feast. Amen. Now, until then, we should fast. And fasting is hard. It's, it's much easier to believe in it than actually do it. Surprising how unedged we feel when we miss a meal. Uh, many ideal, idealistic new faster has decided to miss a meal, and it's not hard until after, after you miss the meal. Fasting sounds simple. Just don't eat. But the world of flesh and the devil conspire to introduce all kinds of complications to keep it from hand. hand, hand. By the way, guys, does your wife love to bake? Whew. Try to fast. I dare you. The only thing I can think of is to have her bake in the garage where you can't smell it and see it all the time. But to keep you on track for fasting, here's some advice, suggestions, especially if you've never tried fasting. Here we go. Number one, start small. Don't go from zero to attempting a week-long fast. Start with one meal, maybe just one meal a week for a while, several weeks maybe. Then maybe try two meals a week for a while. Work your way up. Perhaps try, try a two-day juice fast. A juice fast means no food or beverage except for some juice and some water because allowing yourself a little bit of juice keeps your nutrients and your sugar level up so you can function. You'll still miss solid food. And never stop drinking water because you want to be hydrated. So drink a lot of water no matter how long the fast is. You need the hydration. You know, it's hard to believe a longer fast is actually easier than a short one. I, don't, I, I guess you just get used to not eating for a while, but it's true. Number two, plan what to do instead of eating. Fasting isn't just not eating, it's spiritual discipline. Maybe you should plan to do something positive when you would otherwise be eating. Don't just sit there and mourn. 
One significant fact of fasting is the time it creates. You have time to pray. You have time to do good deeds. You have time to be creative. So make some kind of a simple plan. Connect it to your purpose for the fast. There always ought to be a purpose, by the way. Identify what the purpose is and make that focus of your plan. Without a purpose, all you're going to achieve is hunger. You want more than that. Three, consider how it will affect others. Fasting is never a license to be unloving. Be sad to lack concern and care for others because really when you focus on God, your love for him and your love for your neighbor should go together. So don't be rude. If anything, others should feel more love and more cared for when we fast. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, and tell them why. Consider how your fast will affect others. Do you have regular lunches with colleagues or dinner with family or roommates? Think about how abstaining from food will affect them. Let them know at least. You're not going to be eating. You don't have to tell them why. At the least, make sure they're comfortable. Four, try different kinds of fasting. Typical forms of fasting, personal, private, partial, purposeful. But there are all kinds of fasts in the Bible, just like there are all kinds of prayers. In particularly, consider fasting together with your family or your group or your church. Is there a special need that requires God's wisdom and guidance? Is there unusual activity in your church, uh, a group that requires God's intervention? Do you want to keep the second coming of Christ in view all the time? Five, fast from something other than food. And trust me, fasting from food is not necessarily good for everybody. Some health conditions won't allow it. Fasting is not limited to abstaining from food. Fasting can include abstinence from anything that is legitimate in and of itself. It's just for a special spiritual purpose. If it's better for you in your health conditions not to go without food, consider something else. Here we go. Television, computer, social media, some of the regular enjoyment would bend your heart toward greater enjoyment than Jesus. Ha ha. Or, oh hey, hey, fast from your cell phone. Now, this might be tough because I know some of you actually sleep with the wretched thing that beeps all night and flashes out loud, and you get all your wretched Facebook notices at 3 o'clock in the morning. Might be tough, but you don't have to fast necessarily only from food. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7.5. Paul even talks about married couples fasting from sex for a limited time so that you might devote yourselves to prayer. Six, don't think about food. Think about Jesus. When your empty stomach starts to growl, don't let your mind dwell on the fact that you haven't eaten. If you make it about your iron will that says no to food for a while, that says more about your attitude to food than your devotion to Christ. Christian fasting is like the Holy Spirit. It always turns attention to Jesus. Now, so whatever the purpose is, fighting against a sin, pleading for someone's salvation, the cause of the unborn, longing for a greater sense, a taste of Jesus, the purpose of fasting is to take our eyes off the things of this world and focus them on God. And by the way, fasting should always be for a limited period of time. Fasting is not meant to punish us. We are not to spend time in prayer and fasting because we want to lose weight 
Isn't a diet. My father-in-law always said, you know what the best way to lose weight is, John? And I said, no, Milt, what is it? Fast. Oh, why do I fall for that every time? Okay, don't use it for dieting. Now, we all want to be personally holy, all of us. If we're genuine Christians, we want to achieve this in our lives. It's like finding gold in a long-lost cave. Wouldn't you want to discover something like that? A hint of the unspeakable riches of Jesus right here, right now, in this world? If I told you the way to get there, would you go? Well, I just did tell you the way to get there. Prayer and fasting are the path to holiness. Listen to 1 Peter 1, starting with verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Let's pray, and uh, then after I'm done praying, we'll have a very special and a very different benediction for you. Uh, It's what you get when you let the old guy preach. Let's pray. Lord, we seek holiness. We seek to be separate from the sin of this world and its awful desires and terrible tendencies. All we have to do is turn on the television and watch the news, and we know. But we don't even have to turn on the TV to know that there is bad things in the world, a lot of it within each one of us. We forsake it, and we devote ourselves to you. You are more important than the opinions of others. You are more important than the dictates of our culture. You are more important to our satisfaction in life. You are more important now, and you are more important forever. We seek this in Jesus' name. Amen.